Hello, this is Rabbi Rob Doberson, and welcome to this edition of Wrestling and Dreaming. I want to begin this episode of the podcast with a story. We love animals in our house. We have three wonderful animals that are part of our family, our dog Sammy, our cats Ozzy and Spot. They're wonderful, and we consider it such a blessing that we're able to share our home in this way. In addition, though, we have many other animals in the house. Animal figurines that we've collected over the years, mostly wooden. They're all over the place. They're on the floor, they're in the cabinets, they're on the shelves. We love them. They bring, they bring joy and, and color and, and a sense of creativity to the house, and we love them. A couple of months ago, we had the house painted. While the house was being painted, we took all of the wooden animals and put them neatly in safe places around the house. Painting was finished. Everything's dry. Furniture moved back. We brought the animals back up. But there was a problem. My favorite ones we couldn't find. We had this beautiful set of hand-carved wooden animals from Africa. African animals sitting on little stools around the table with a cup in front of them as if they were having a meeting or having a meal together. We love it. And we couldn't find it. And it was very upsetting to me because this was just like uh, something that would sit on our table and was always a good topic of conversation when people came over and it always brought us joy. So I looked and I searched. We all did. We looked in the basement. We went through every cabinet, every box that we had brought down to the basement during the painting. We looked in places where certainly it, they, these wouldn't have been, but we had to find them. And we kept came up frustrated. We tried to do it systematically and it didn't work. The other day I was talking with some friends and I happened to mention the animals and we, I mentioned this thing we were looking for and one of my friends said, I wish you good luck in finding it. But a half hour later, I walked into my office here at home, sat down at my desk, and for some reason, and I'm not sure exactly what reason, I turned my chair around 180 degrees, facing the wall on the other side of the small office where there's a futon. And I said to myself, I wonder. And I looked down underneath the futon, and sure enough, there was the box with the animals. They're home. All of the systematic searching didn't help, but that one moment, unexpectedly, unplanned, unscheduled, and the problem was solved. I found what I was looking for. It made me think of an article of an essay that I read in the paper the other day in the New York Times on November 27th. The article is entitled, Why Space Tourists Won't Find the Awe They Seek. It was written by Henry Wismayer, a London-based uh, travel writer. I'm fascinated by space travel, and I'm intrigued by those who spend so much money to go up into these short flights just above the border where limit where one can stay there in space and then come back again. And Mr. Wismeyer has some words for them. He says, on its face, the kind of short flight to the edge of space that seems to be the very definition of what the psychologist Abraham Maslow called the peak experience. The kinetic thrill of rocketing to an altitude of over 50 miles combined with the astonishing perspective it affords of our planet invites us to believe that few adventures could be more profound. 
But he says there's a problem. And he talks about how these trips, how these journeys, how these flights are structured in such a way, being recorded by HD cameras with a computer-generated voice providing the commentary, a comfortable chair, champagne waiting for the passengers on the landing pad. And he says, under such contrived conditions, awe will always be a chimera. That which we explicitly pursue will always, to a greater or lesser extent, remain out of reach. He says those people who are looking for awe by getting a moment of awe by getting into this fight might be very disappointed because his claim is that you can't structure, you can't plan for this kind of awe. He says we covet the experience of sublimity because it hints at mysteries and forces beyond the realm of ordinary human understanding. And it's good for us. Neuroscientists discover that regular doses of awe can boost critical thinking, physical health, and emotional well-being. Studies have also shown that it makes us kinder and more empathetic. And then he says, but chasing it, chasing it, misses an essential element of awe, which is that so much of its potency depends on factors that commercial space flights seem custom-designed to negate. And I believe that what he's speaking about is the spontaneity, the creativity, the unscheduled nature of what an experience that really truly brings awe can bring to us. And that makes me think about Jewish ritual. I want to share with you something that Maimonides wrote in Middle Ages, early Middle Ages, about the mezuzah that we place on our doorposts. He says, every time a person enters or leaves a room, they will confront God's name and remember their love and be roused from their slumber and their errors in spending time vainly. Every time. Every time. Writing in a book called The Observant Life, published by the conservative movement a few years ago, Rabbi Karen G. Rice Medwed writes the following. The mezuzah serves as a reminder that the rooms of the house are potentially sacred space in which God may be encountered. The mezuzah reminds us to remain open to the potential encounters with the sacred as we enter our homes and move through its rooms. I love her words, and I find them much more convincing, much more compelling, much more realistic, and much more logical than Maimonides' words. I don't believe that we can possibly think about God every time we enter a room. But what we can think about when we see the mezuzah, what it symbolizes is the potential that we have to recognize the sacred space of our home, the sacred nature of our actions, a sense of awe and wonder that leads us to a connection with God and that takes us to a moment above the average everyday moment. There are many purposes given to Jewish ritual. It connects us with our past. It connects us with, with tradition. It encourages us to consider our lives, to connect with our history, to, to feel a sense of, 
of oneness with those who came before and those who are coming in the future to think about the values that the different holidays or traditions represent. But one of the purposes of Jewish ritual is clearly to foster a connection with God, to make us recognize moments of awe and wonder and connection with something greater than ourselves in this world. The problem is, it doesn't happen every time. No matter what Raimonides may say, it is impossible to have a moment of wonder and awe every time you perform a Jewish ritual. And if you're expecting that, and it doesn't happen, not only will you be disappointed, but less likely to perform the ritual the next time. So what do the rituals afford us? I look at Rabbi Medved's words and I love the word potential and I'm going to take it even further than she did. She says the mezuzah reminds us to remain open to the potential encounters with the sacred as we enter our homes and move through its rooms. And I would add, all of the rituals that we perform remind us of the potential that every day brings as we go through a house, walk through its rooms, go out the door, engage in our relationships, do our jobs, walk our dogs, look at the look at the beautiful sky, whatever it might be. By performing these rituals, we don't expect that that's the moment that we'll connect with God and connect with something greater than ourselves. But what we do expect is that it puts our mind in a particular place where when that opportunity comes up unexpected, unplanned for, that we will in fact realize the, potent, the sacred in our world and our connection with God. And there's so much potential for that to happen every day. The rituals prepare us to meet that potential when it happens to come to us. We can structure our lives so that we say, this is the moment where we'll find what we're searching for. But the truth is that doesn't always work. Often we find what we're searching for by an unplanned decision to turn around 180 degrees and find what we're looking for someplace we didn't expect it. The ritual, our rituals as Jews, help structure our lives so that we're ready to grab those moments when they come. Until next time, thank you.